Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self-proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today to breaking rules. I'm gonna stick to a strategy. I'm gonna find out exactly what I'm made of. Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Welcome to episode zero of the Conversations with Anna podcast. This is where you figure out who is Anna and why do I want to have a conversation with her? (laughs) So this episode is going to be just a little bit about me and why I wanted to do this podcast. Um, Currently, I live in central Indiana with my husband of 19 years and our 13-year-old son. So I am an only child raising an only child. So that might be some stuff to unpack in some future episodes. I don't know. I hear a lot that, you know, that old oh, that explains a lot, quote, and I'm sure my son does too. But uh, right now we embrace it. We kind of enjoy it, actually. So I am a Gen X, grew up in the 80s, like 70s and 80s, I guess. I don't really count the 70s because I don't think I grew up very much during that time. But um, from a very small town in Missouri, um, first generation college student. So that was really my first taste of imposter syndrome. And I've kept a little bit of that with me um, throughout life, <laughs> you know, like a wheelbarrow full of it. Um, but yeah, so I went to college and I laugh because when I talk to my college students about this whole concept of golden ticket, which is, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of un- unfold that for you during this um, conversation. But I remember being in high school and we had a Hallmark store within walking distance of my house. So if you're old like me, you remember the gold crown, right? You remember Hallmark. You remember greeting cards. Let's just start with that. Like you remember before Hallmark was a channel because we only had like six of those and somebody had to get up off the couch to actually change those. So we didn't have the Hallmark channel, but Hallmark was greeting cards and we sent those a lot and they had these phenomenal commercials where they'd show like the grandma getting the card from her family and then like low key turning it over to make sure it had the gold foil crown on the back because like you had to care enough to send the very best to people. So between like the really like phenomenal marketing and then being able to go into that store and just being around those greeting cards and being around like just the environment in that store, which was so unique, I really wanted to work for Hallmark. So graduating high school, moving on to college during that whole time, I literally had no way of knowing if Hallmark was hiring. And like, I try and tell my college students, like I had to get out my electric typewriter, plug it in, get the fancy paper, right? Put the clean sheet of paper in the typewriter and create a resume every time I wanted to send one. 
Like that was life back then because like Al Gore had invented the internet. So like we didn't have that. So I would type up these resumes and these cover letters and like went to the library to look up the mailing address. And I would just mail the resume and cover letter about how bad I wanted to work at Hallmark off into the abyss um, and have no idea. Like, do they have an internship program? Were they hiring? Am I qualified? What would I do? Um, literally on Sundays, because I grew up in a resort town, um, during the summer, our grocery store would get the Kansas city star. So I could go up there and get that and open it and, you know, go to the one ads. And I just, I never had any way of knowing if they were hiring. So then I go to college and they don't come to campus. So there went my Hallmark dreams. Um, fast forward to a few years ago, um, I had a student who got to go do an internship in Kansas City at Hallmark. And I will tell you, if I thought they were a cool company back in the 80s, they are amazing now. So she got to live my dream and I got to live it vicariously through her. So that was cool. But I did interview um, with the world's largest company when they came to campus. And I didn't really have a lot of intention of working there. Growing up in you know, central Missouri, which is Walmart country. I knew a lot of people who started with Walmart and just kind of worked their way up through the company and were super successful. And I just assumed that was what they valued, um, was kind of growing their own management. It really wasn't until I got in and realized that when they recruit from the college ranks, they hand you this contract that says you are a hundred percent relocatable. So you sign that because you're all excited and you get your first, you know, store. And again, they try and start you like close to home. So here I am in central Missouri, which is again, heart of Walmart. Everyone that works for me in my first assistant manager job had been with the company longer than I had been alive. So let's get some more of that imposter syndrome out and put it on. And I basically learned my first big dose of humility, which it doesn't matter what my name tag says. It matters how you show up and what can someone teach you, right? I learned a lifetime worth of lessons from those folks. And then I get a call that they need me to move to Florida, well, like I'm looking at these brilliant people I'm working with and I can't understand why they won't move up in the company. And they all just kind of laugh and they're like, yeah, I'm not really like looking to move. I've been here my whole life. you know." And then I started to hit on the fact that like I probably got hired because I could sign that piece of paper, which is totally fine. Like that's what I had been wanting my whole life was to get out of where I grew up. So it worked out really well. And you had to know that my parents of their generation, the get a good job with a good company and take care of the company, the company will take care of you generation over the moon, right? So 10 years at Walmart, six states, 13 addresses. And basically that all happened over about eight years because the two best years with Walmart, I was in training and development. So I was teaching, I was learning and then going and teaching. I was writing new classes. I was just, I really enjoyed that. So uh, fast forward to um, early 90s, I was at a store in Virginia Beach and met my husband. So you know how y'all go like to the store, especially Target, and you don't have things on your list, but you leave with them. My mine was a husband one day. So <laughs> I meet my husband. And while we were moving from Virginia to Indiana, somewhere in the mountains with more than likely some three doors down on a CD with beef jerky and sour patch kids, really deep conversation. I say like, if money didn't matter, what would you do? And he said, I would go be a teacher. 
And I was like, yeah, me too, right? So we get here, we get settled, we move, we both go back to college. So we were both uh, debt-free from our first round of undergrad because you don't, you know, that was possible in the 90s. Like, it's not so much now. So we both went into debt to get another degree to go teach. So my husband's seventh grade social studies teacher. He spends the entire day with um, 180 plus 13-year-olds. So no matter what I am doing when he gets home, I'm like a prize at the end of that day, which, by the way, is very good for your (laughs) self-confidence as a spouse. So it's been good for us. Um, So I started teaching high school business classes. And I did that for like six years until around year four, I look up and I'm standing in the back of a computer lab. And I'm basically like the internet police for these 15 year olds who are learning an outdated version of the Microsoft Office suite. And I thought, you know, I really feel like I have like more passion, more experience, and like more to offer. So I started looking around and started asking around, and what did you find that you have to have in order to go teach at the college level was another degree, right? You had to have a degree. So don't get me wrong, like I had a master's in education, but to teach business, higher ed says, no, you have to have a master's in business. So I go back to school when my son was two, and I earned an MBA, and I got hired at a college. So I loved it. I loved my job. I got recruited to a different university. I started teaching there. Everything is great. So they're like, oh, hey, if you love this, and you want to keep doing it, we're going to need you to go get another degree. (laughs) So I already told I, I work in higher ed, like, I get the value of an education. Education is one thing someone can never take away from you. Um, But I'm, again, I told you I was married for 19 years. Um, Nine of those, I've been in some form of graduate school. And every class I've taken has brought debt onto my family, right? My quality of life right now, like I literally work in the most amazing job in higher ed. I get up every morning excited about the program I work with. It's an online, like really future forward student centric job or program. And I love it. So there are aspects of things that I love about higher ed. There are aspects and things I don't love about higher ed. But I will tell you that like I struggle all the time with my ticket into these roles always had to be a degree. And what I'm learning and watching and noticing happening in society is a shift away from that. And I'm actually super excited about it. I think that there are really good degrees out there. There are certifications, there's Votech training, there's a lot of things out there that will be the ticket of today's learner to get to where they want to go. And the world's going to start changing so much faster than that naive little girl like pulling her electric typewriter out and plugging it in and typing up her new resume, right? So I take all of these experiences with me into the classroom. And I'm forever telling these young people, you literally have the world at your fingertips. Like you can get in touch with people who are out there today doing the job that you think you want to do. And you can ask them anything. And you're a student and you're younger than them and you're looking to them for guidance. They will give it to you. Like, why are you not doing that? I just would scratch my head the whole time I was teaching high school. I was having this conversation But then I started realizing, right, like I'm a marketer, so we study generations. And I really got deep into the fact that 
these students today are the product of like the helicopter, lawnmower, snowplow, pick your appliance parents, right? Who are putting them in the bubble, protecting them. And also these little digital natives, we have been telling them their whole life. If you make one wrong move, one wrong post, one wrong picture on social media, you'll ruin your life and the life of all of your ancestors who worked hard to get us here, right? So they are not likely to ever pick up a phone because A, they're digital natives, and B, that's scary. We don't like that. They're not really likely to connect with someone on LinkedIn to ask questions. They're probably not very likely to just approach somebody, right? That whole elevator pitch is so lost on this generation because they're like, why would you talk to someone in an elevator? Um, Like... So I was having this frustration from my lens of if I were you, if I could bring what I know and be your age again, here's what I would be doing, right? So I realized they were not going to go out and do this on their own. So how could I facilitate some sort of a concept or um, an education around like getting them to do that? So that's where I came up with the golden ticket, right? The golden ticket for a college student is to be able to reach out to somebody and remove all of the like awkwardness and risk by saying, I'm a college student and I had a couple questions or I need to, you know, like whatever. And they'll help you like it works. So I was totally cool with just being the the college golden ticket professor. Like I've talked to thousands of college students a year. I do this whole LinkedIn thing. I talk a, like, a little bit about personal brand and risk and like try and convince them that we as older generation really do want to help them. Like everyone will will look back and want to help the people behind them. Like that's not where the haters are. Those aren't the people that you should be afraid of. The ones who are turning around to lend a hand, right? Like it's safe. So on top of that, I started teaching in the MBA program and I was teaching these adults and I was really getting a glimpse because we kind of had this really cool program, very holistic MBA where we were teaching as a special topics course, personal brand, um, and, and again, such, such a cliche, right? Personal brand right now, such a cliche, so overdone and beaten to death. But I thought for the time that we created it in the context it was created, I felt like we had a really good product and it was something I thoroughly enjoyed teaching. And here's what I started noticing in this room full of adults who had come to this MBA program because it was going to be the springboard for the next thing, right? I've been there, right? I have an MBA. I get it. But I'm watching these adults talk about their what and what they were trying to do with the what. This is what I do. This is what I want to do. And this MBA is what is going to get me from the first what to the second what. So that's what. But then I would start asking why. Like, why this or why that? And they really were super cloudy on the why a lot of times. I had some people that were not. But the ones who were were really concerning to me. And they were people who I could tell, for the most part, were told by someone, this is the next step. Like, this, if you'll just go get this MBA, if you'll go get this next thing, that's going to be your ticket. Like, that will move you forward in this company. This will move you forward in this industry. This will differentiate, differentiate you from other people, right? So that's what they were doing. They were making this investment in themselves. However, it's when you can't stand up and articulate your why. Like, why are you an accountant? Why are you a product engineer? Why are you this. Like, why? 
you told me your what, but let me, t- let me hear your why. And then a lot of other things would come out of all of this. Like we would do a lot of personality assessments. We would take a look at a lot of resumes and LinkedIn's and all of these things. Cause really the reason we taught this class was because our director at the time was like, how will these students be different the day they finish their MBA than they were the day they started it? Because if we don't, do that for them, if we don't pull them through that transformation fully, they will never fully realize that investment, the return on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's incredible. So that's the lens I went in to teach that class with. And when I'm looking at these people who literally had no idea about their why or what value or, you know, truth they had, you could really get, I get super uncomfortable with them, right? Like I was like, okay, So I started mentoring a lot of adults around the fact that like, you have to be able to tell your story in a way that matters to the next person who's going to hire you, the next person who's going to talk to you, like, you have to be confident with telling that story. And I'm looking at like job, you know, resumes that read like job descriptions, right? Like there's no way they're talking about their time in that job. And you'd start to poke around with these folks and you'd start to push. And then like, I had this epiphany one day while we're sitting there, I was actually teaching a different class at the time on HR special topics. And it was around employee engagement. And like at the time, the the um, percent of employees in the United States who would describe themselves as fully engaged at work was in the low 20s, like 24%. So I'm thinking like 24% of people get up and go to work and feel like they contribute, that they're used, you know, in the right ways to help the organization and that they are recognized and appreciated. Like, that's super scary to me. But then in my weird mind, I start to think, is there some connection between the fact that we don't fully realize our own truth our own contributions, our own value, our own why. And the fact that, a lot, you know, like 80 some percent of the world of the country is going to work and not being engaged. I, I think there is. I, I didn't stop and do the research, but I'm telling you, those things are all related. And then I'm like, my lens just got made so much bigger, right? Like it went from this little college professor, golden ticket, all the way out to like, we have a real opportunity in discovering ourselves for who we are, understanding our truths, understanding how we add value, understanding where we fit and what we do best. And then how do we take that to the next level to live our best life? So that's the motivation for this podcast is just talking about this getting other people's points of view, learning how other people have done this. Like I'm not really 100% sure how many different directions we're going to go. All I know is that I think about um, prisoners of war, right? How did they torture a prisoner of war? They isolated them completely. And when I was like thinking about this for a speech I was giving one time, I looked up the story of John McCain when he was a POW. And he talked about just the mental anguish of living alone and not even the torture, right? It was the solitude knowing there were other people out there functioning and seeing the sunlight and doing things and no one to acknowledge you. 
And he told a story, and I'm not going to get it right, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. But he talked about the fact that the first time that he realized there was someone next to him in another cell, and they worked out a communication form, probably Morse code, I'm not 100% sure, but they tapped out who, what's like, what's your name? And he said, John. And then the other guy did the same thing. And he said, he tapped out, hello, John. He said to have someone say your name, even though it wasn't out loud, he couldn't hear it, but to be acknowledged, right, was the most powerful thing that happened to him in his memory of being in captivity. And I look at the fact that we kind of do that stuff to ourselves, like clearly not at that level, right? Like I'm not going to try and compare like how we're living to torture necessarily, but we are surrounded by people who can talk through things, who can help us, who can, you know, help you through those vulnerable moments, who can reinforce things, who can help you, who can introduce you to somebody else that can do those types of things, right? It's so powerful to speak it out loud sometimes, right? We are by nature like tribal people. We are better together. We want to have acknowledgement. So why we hold all of this stuff in, I'm not 100% sure, but I want to work on that. I want to work on discovering some things about ourselves and being able to speak it even if it's in the mirror, right? Even if it's to your spouse or your friend or your parent or your dog or your cat, they probably won't listen. Cats don't like that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so here's the thing. I'm kind of a hot mess express. I don't have like a solid plan. I certainly don't have a 10 step, a four step, a six step. I don't have a class to sell you. I don't have a book to sell you. I don't have a white paper for you. I have nothing. I'm not trying to get you to buy one thing. I just love the sound of my own voice. (laughs) And every time I talk to people, they say things like, will you come talk to my employees? Will you come talk to my company? Will you come talk to my students? Well, do you have a podcast? Right? I keep hearing that, right? Do you have a pod? Like, no, I don't have a podcast, but I'm going to fix that one of these days. So here we are. Conversations with Anna, because I feel like I have enough experience, enough stories, enough curiosity, and truly enough compassion that I want to see some things change for all of us, right? And I'm not coming and like grabbing this microphone and talking because I have it all figured out. I don't. This is also a process for me. I just know I, as again, as a marketer, I look at generations, I look at things that are happening, and I ask a lot of questions. And sometimes I shut up long enough to hear the answer. So that's always very good. But and I also know a lot of really cool people. So that's also very good. But what I want for us together is to just figure all of this out and be better than we were before we started this, right? Better for ourselves, in better places, doing better things. And I want to question things and I want you to think about it. So there's not going to be any like downloads or printables or any of that stuff you hear from like those side hustlers and grinders and all those people who are out there wanting you to like stop sleeping and start earning. Like I'm not those people. I'm just somebody who wants you to focus on yourself, understand, accept, like study it, whatever your process looks like, and then go out and speak it. Because I think as we start to change our lens of how we see the most important person ourselves, right? The one person we can actually control When you start to do that, you take back a little bit of empowerment, 
and you really can hopefully find yourself moving forward towards your truth, towards a better life. And you know what? Maybe you are living a really good life. I have no complaints right now about my life. I really don't. I live a very good life. I'm very blessed. I am thankful for a lot of things in my world. Um, So, but do I think I could get better? Absolutely. I know I can do better. I can be a better wife. I can be a better friend. I can be a better parent. I can be a better employee. I can be a better teacher. I can be a lot better because what holds me back is not everyone else, right? It's not my job. It's not the guy at work. It's certainly not my boss. It's not my husband. A lot of what's holding me back from being like the next best version of myself is me. So those are the things that I hope to talk about in these conversations with Anna. And I managing expectations is a very big opportunity for me all the time. So that's why I just spilled all of that is I want to manage expectations. I want you to know why I'm here. Like, what's your why? What are you hoping to accomplish? And like, why would I come back? Why am I going to download episode one? And I'm going to put it to you like this. I hope that you love yourself enough to take the time to listen to these conversations with Anna. Thank you for tuning in to episode zero. I hope to catch you again in the first episode of the show. Between episodes, if you want more information, you can always visit www.goldenticketprof.com. There's the podcast page with show notes and any links that we talk about. I have all of my social um, links there. It's probably just the easiest place to find me. So thank you again for listening and take care of yourself.